You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness, and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. Is there some hidden purpose to life? A secret design? A meaningful logic? A goal to reach? Why are we here? Where do we come from? And where do we go after we leave? In this episode, Dr. Tony Nader discusses the second chapter from his new book, One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, titled In Search of Meaning. Answering your questions about the book, one Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, discussing now chapter two. And the theme of today is something very profound, very interesting, but we never usually think about it. It's, let's call it world view. World view. What is world view? When we think about ourselves, we think about our body, our country, our name, our profession, and everything and that corresponds to our physiology, to our abilities, to our ideas, etc. But we don't think that we actually have a worldview. And a worldview is part of who we are at the first moment in time, at the moment in time, we are having a world perception, a view of the universe, a view of our reality, a view of the laws that construct the environment, a view of our purpose, etc. So before answering your questions, and there are many questions that have come, let's say that a worldview is like your colors of your glasses. When somebody has colors of glasses that are red, then they see everything in red. When somebody's glasses are yellow, they see everything in yellow. And so the same object in front of them, they will discuss about it for days, for hours, maybe for a lifetime, and say, one would say that it is red and they feel it's red. And how crazy you are that you cannot really see that it's red. And you feel the same, but you think it's yellow because your glasses are yellow. So the worldview is the perspective through which we see our universe. Now let's make it very real before we go to the questions. I will start by asking you questions today, actually, for a little short moment, and think about it for a second. Do you think the world is made out of a design? So there is a design in the world? Or do you think it comes from chance? There is something that happens and it's a chance occurrence and then things happen and start constructing themselves by trial and error and there is no actual design. This is a big question because it leads to very important conclusions. If there is a design, and think about it for a second before I move on, Think, what do I think? Do I think the world is made out of a certain design? Whichever design or designer has made it, 
it could be a force of nature if you believe that it's all just forces of nature that there is some hidden order somewhere that suddenly manifests as the universe or there is a creator a god a feeling of some divine reality that actually designed everything and set it right and make it as it should be and then the world the evolution the growth follow the design now if you're a believer in any religion, don't be offended that this question is being asked because maybe you feel staunchly and strongly that this is how it is and that's what it is because my religion says that, my belief says that, and that's what it is. Well, you know, who is anybody to discuss this with me? It doesn't matter. This is not at the point of discussing what is the reality and what is true and what is maybe seen through my colors of vision, through my colors of glasses. It doesn't matter. Now it's just to realize that we have a worldview. We have a worldview and it leads to consequences because if you think that there is a design, then there must be a purpose and that there must be order and law and things to follow and everything is structured in a certain way. If you think it's all coming from this order and in a sense a question of all possibilities are there but as things happen there is evolution and there is trial and error some things that are good you know or they are according to whatever environment is there they can survive this is what we call survival of the fittest and then like this, there is a building up of gradually rules and regulations that come out of this disorder. And where do they go? We want to ask also, where do they go? So think of yourself, what do you believe in? And then what is the purpose of this? So this is really very significant and very important. For example, in terms of freedom, if there is order and everything is set, is the design including freedom, which means the divine reality or the forces of nature still allows us to act with free will, with decision making, or the rules are rigid and set and that's what you have to follow. And if you don't follow them, maybe there is a consequence. But if you say if you don't follow them, that means you have freedom. And you know that scientists today, many feel that if there is law and order and everything is completely systematic and scientifically set because there is order and there is cause and effect, that means you have no choice. But if you have no choice, then you have no responsibility. So should we be punishing those who do what they do to correct them? But when we choose to punish them, isn't that a choice? or we are also spontaneously going to punish them. So these questions are important because they have consequences on all aspects of life. Take the pandemic, for example. The pandemic influenced the whole world today. And one event, maybe a small, tiny event, somewhere in the world, somebody ate the wrong thing and they got transmission of some little, tiny nothing just a bear, something, you cannot even see it on the microscope, a virus. And that virus grew and developed, and the entire world population, no matter what religion you're coming from, what belief system you are, whether you're a philosopher or a driver or you're a school student or you are, at whatever level, 
you have been affected either directly or indirectly through the lockdowns, through the problems that we have. You've been thinking about it. So across the board, there has been something that happens. How did this happen? Is there somebody to blame? But then that little blame on a little particular level, how can it spread out? Or there is some design, a reason for which all this happens. Now, we're not answering these questions right away because this first uh, chapter and second chapter are just setting up the characters that are playing in our play, in our story, in our game that is in the one unbounded ocean of consciousness. The first chapter brought me as a writer, of course, the author of the book, into perspective in what things I have faced, what questions I have been asking. And then in the second chapter, you are personally brought in the picture. You might say, how am I brought in the picture? What is, where is my name? Where is my situation? You're brought in the picture no matter who you are, no matter what your worldview is, which means your perception, the colors of your glasses, you are brought in and being asked to realize what is your worldview. At this point, there are no conclusions about what is a proposed good worldview or bad worldview, what is right, what is wrong. In this first chapter, it's just questioning and bringing you into the picture. And you are going to ask yourself these questions. Where do I belong in this worldview? What is my worldview? We don't ask these things usually because we think, oh, what is my strengths? What is my difficulties? What is my job? What should I do? What can I do? But these are very important questions that have impact on all life, that have impact on decision-making, that have impact on perception of justice, on even the ability to answer such big questions as why this pandemic? Why this suffering? Why this lockdown? What is it? Where is it coming from? Is it just a hazard? then there is no, no design? Or is it just something that to teach us a lesson about something or to wake us up about something we have to know because the world must be orderly and there is law and there is order in the universe? And such questions, ask yourselves, define your worldview, and hopefully as you go through the book, and this book is to be read more than once, you will read it, get an idea, and then hopefully read it again and see whether it has given you a perspective, given you a new perspective. It is not aimed as maybe Carlos is asking to change culture or to change conditions in society. It is not aimed at changing tradition. It is aimed at waking up and removing the colored glasses and seeing things from the profound understanding. And then cultures, differences, different ways of approaching things can be there under different contexts, under different conditions. So what does it mean? It means that even many might have different worldviews, their worldviews are not necessarily wrong because they are different from another person's worldview. It's just a question of realizing that it is one perspective on wholeness one perspective on truth, one perspective on reality, one perspective on freedom, on design, on trial and error, 
and somebody else might have a different perspective. So what we want to, at the end, achieve is to realize that there is a perspective which is a common denominator, which allows us to all see the reality and also understand that we can see it from this perspective. We can put red glasses and it's nice to see it from that perspective. We can put yellow glasses and see it from the other perspective. So that is why cultures are there. That is why traditions are there. They depend also on the circumstances, the weather, the situation, the, the whole thing. And that is the richness of life. Kumar Mahadevan asks, my question is, if consciousness is all there is, does it follow that the material world is in fact immaterial, an illusion, maya? Maya is a term in Sanskrit that means illusion which means the world is not real. It's just we're living in an illusion, like you're living in a dream. During the dream, you live and there is a reality, and that reality, you think it's right, you think it's absolutely correct, and then when you wake up, you realize it was a dream. So there is a perception, there is an ability to say that maybe during the waking state, we are also like in a dream. And that is what Maya has been explained to be. And therefore discarding all the realities on the outside. As you will see through the book, this is not the case in terms of reality, because Maya is there only when one thinks that the actual objects of perception exist on their own, independently of the observer who is connected to them, and independently of consciousness. In fact, everything comes from consciousness, everything is consciousness, yet everything can be on its own level, it can exist on its own level, it can have a reality on its level as part of consciousness that is observed and seen from a certain perspective. Now, for those who have not gone forward in the book, they might see, oh, what, what are you talking about? So to stay in the context of chapter two, if you have not gone further, don't worry about it. As the book proceeds, you will find that this will become clearer and clearer and it's repeated. So take your time to enjoy it and to read it. We have Ide Evans. I have just finished reading the book. It's wonderful, thank you. Do you have anything to say on the recent discovery about the behavior of the muons? The behavior of the muons indicate that there is a deeper level in nature. And as we discussed with some of the great scientists, Dr. John Heglin, who is the president of Marishi International University, explained that this adds to the direction of a unified field of natural law that is at the basis of all that is manifest. So it takes us even closer to the reality that there is something deeper, there is a oneness that is deeper than the surface level that is in the direction of supporting the theories that explain that the entire universe actually comes from one unified field of natural law. We have a question from Simonetta. She's asking when the Italian version is coming. So it's coming very soon. We are quite advanced. And how would the book then help, she's saying in Italian, to put some reality effectiveness in moment of great tension and stress to stop and meditate and to put a little space between us and anxiety. This is a beautiful expression. Take a distance and understand. 
The book will be an intellectual understanding, and intellect is very powerful in helping us to see things from a proper perspective. And therefore, that's why there is counseling, that's why there is meditation of contemplation and all of that. But the highest level that gives us stability within and strengths within, so we are established in the self and truly see things from the broadest perspective, is the practice of transcendental meditation. This is what I have found in my life to be the most effective. And I have seen this through scientific studies and through the lives of many people who have practiced this technique. Melody Majidi is asking, is there any possibility to reach nirvana in only one lifetime, in our own life and this body? Nirvana is a state of pure consciousness experienced by itself. And the book is about one unbounded ocean of consciousness and the realization on the experiential level, not just on the intellectual level, but on direct experience that there is one unbounded reality that is the source of everything. And this happens with transcending. People who practice transcendental meditation, even in the first meditations, they start feeling that they are deeper and deeper. So nirvana can be considered as an all or non situation, or in other terms, samadhi, which is a state of pure consciousness, satori, that state of pure being, pure experience of the self, which meditators, when they transcend their experience, can already be there. So it is possible to establish, to experience that reality, of course, in this lifetime, and as it stabilizes, it becomes a permanent experience. And that is the true ultimate nirvana, which we can also call cosmic consciousness. Absolutely, it's possible. Absolutely, it's true. Because that is the reality of life. Evan Finkelstein's asking, what about discriminating intellect of highly educated people that have concluded that only matter and physical forces exist and that it is ignorant and primitive for people to believe that there is anything that is spiritual or divine. Could you comment on this? People have great intellects, but they can start with different assumptions. The thing that happened is that throughout history, there have been many belief systems, many approaches, many philosophies, and many primitive things where people imagine things that are not really true. And therefore, the vagaries of the mind took us into all kinds of imagination because the consciousness is not open enough, is not aware enough, is not deep enough to see the true value of reality. And therefore, the scientists of today, they realize there are so many conflicting things on the mind level that we cannot depend on them. We have to look at the object. We have to look at the scientific thing. And that's what is real. And that is what is correct. But then they have taken the wrong starting point the wrong hypothesis, the wrong axiom, the wrong starting theory, that everything starts from energy because this is the most palpable thing, the most touchable thing, because the earth is flat at the beginning. You know, you look around, it is flat. You look at the sun, it's moving in the sky from left to right, or meaning from east to west. And therefore, this is what's reality. And they struggle then to understand how things can work when this is the case. But then they had to use more advanced data and observations and come to different conclusions. 
the conclusion that the Earth is round, that the Earth turns around its axis, and therefore what I see moving in the sky based on my senses is not as real. Now, this took us in this century, in the previous century, and more in this century also to understanding that even the most solid things that we believe in, such as time and space, time flows so clearly, so obviously, there is yesterday, there is now, there is tomorrow, and it's fixed around the universe, and it doesn't change. And space is there, it's real. My space between you and me is very clear. Until scientists probed deeper into nature, and they actually discovered that even time and space are relative. They are relative to the observer's motion. If you move faster, then there is change in space, there is change in the dimensions of time. You might have read this and think that it is part of fiction. It's not fiction. It has been demonstrated that even those most referable, most clear concepts of life that are as solid as the earth being flat, as solid as the sun moving around the sky, are not actually as solid as this. And that things are more waves. Objects are potentially here and there. It sounds like fiction. It sounds like woo-woo or magic. <laughs> but the reality is that. And therefore, those great scientists, based on observations, they had assumptions, and they have great intellects, but they have their own prejudice about the reality. And now we can see that this is not so true. And that's why we see the greatest scientists and the greatest physicists in the world saying that there is something more profound than that, that consciousness can be there. So it is not just because intellectual great people have made some suppositions, you know, they might have made great suppositions about things, they might have amazing intellects, but the knowledge that they have, the experience that they have, didn't give them more understanding of the true reality of life, which we are presenting in this book. So, to go to another question here, the question is, how can a chaotic mess ever lead to highly orderly systems like a human nervous system? Well, this is the question that was being developed in the book. It doesn't mean in this chapter, even though there is a sense of, oh, that is one possibility, it is not being mentioned as the final answer. And that will be developed through the book where we see the contrast between chaos, randomness, and orderliness, and where do they come from? And how can maybe even possibility of a design correspond or be there? So keep reading, be there and correspond with, uh, with orderliness and structure. So keep reading and you will get there. I just didn't want to go further in the, in the book since we're discussing chapter by chapter. Jerry Solomon in the United States really loved the book, made some wonderful comments. Thank you, Jerry. And you're asking about the personal God and non-personal God and reading other books beyond biocentrism, etc. Is there any tie or no tie to supreme being versus consciousness in this book? This is an important question. I try to avoid in this book concepts that might touch on religion as such and belief systems, yet it presents a platform of understanding where you can make your own conclusions 
and decide that what is called personal absolute is something, what is impersonal absolute is something else. Why different even religions have different beliefs that God is totally transcendental, doesn't get involved in anything, that there is that force that is there, that is sitting there, that, you know, other options is the God created the universe and set the laws and then let it go as it is and doesn't get involved in it. So there are many, many, many belief systems. And this book is not about belief system. It's about logic, consequences, a string of thoughts that lead to certain understanding and certain consequences. And hopefully will make you ask questions and we can discuss them when the opportunity comes and see how they can be seen from that angle, how can be seen from that angle where we can fit maybe, and I say maybe just to leave the expectation high, there could be an interpretation where you say this is God or this is a force of nature or this is just consciousness. It's all open and these relations and possibilities are there. Jan Fowles, thank you. Yes, we're working on the audiobook and we'll get it there for you hopefully very soon. The connectedness between different values of nature, of course, if consciousness is there, then Wasilewski is asking, then everything is connected with everything else. You will see in later chapters that we extend the idea of entanglement in physics to make everything actually connected with everything else. There is no question about this. It's one unbounded ocean of consciousness manifesting in all this multiplicity. Question by Denise about what is consciousness is really the chapter that is coming. The couple of chapters that are coming after chapter two will address directly this question. In fact, the titles also reflect that. The participator aspect of the, of the individual, you know, am I a participator? Yes, very, very deeply. And you will see that reality is defined not only in terms of objects, but in terms of an observer, a process, and an observed together coming, creating what is reality. And then for the observer, the object appears as being real and existent. So this is also being considered very deeply. The book will be published, Greg Wilson, in print, hopefully very soon. Wadi Haider has wonderful deep questions about the observer-observing relationship and how maybe the wave function collapses or it doesn't collapse. These are very important big questions that are answered as we go through the book. Gloria, thank you for your comments and Margarita Matthias also from Hungary. Why did consciousness manifest itself? That comes really later in the book also. And uh, Chris Stanley is asking about consciousness becoming conscious of itself, this three-in-one process how to understand this concept, what that to happen to the knower knowing and process of knowing, how would they change every time symmetry breaking took place. All of this is beautifully, hopefully beautifully, <laughs> I hope you like it, uh, discussed in the book. So Patricia from Canada, uh, are there any explanations about what happens to your consciousness when you die? There is a chapter and there is a section which is entitled Life and Living and Movement and like that. And you can see in this change that there is a continuation and the reason why. If you read the book as a whole, you will understand the relationship between life and death and these transition points and these gaps between moments. 
bigger gaps, smaller gaps, and that will be left to reading later, but feel free to move on to that section of life and living. And thank you, Savita Shetty, for enjoying the book and being present with us. Valeri from Also Russia wants to have a printable format. It will be coming soon. Per Sletten talked about the pandemic. We discussed it a little bit at the beginning in terms of context. That also, is there something evolutionary in it? We can look at it from many ways. One of the ways is that it's already explained to us that we are one humanity, that we are attacked even by the little tiniest thing. We are one humanity. We are one being. We are one reality. We are the one bounded ocean of consciousness. And one little tiny little thing reminds us that across religion, across belief, across race, across gender, across ways and habits of living, we are one humanity. And that is maybe one small thing we can say could be a big thing in realizing what something like this can do to us. Thank you all. The time is passing. Thank you, Thomas Hall, for your beautiful comments from the United States. And we'll look up at how we can make this available to you in your classes and courses and discussions. Take care. We meet tomorrow, 12.30 New York time on Facebook and Instagram with chapter three. Thank you for sending your questions. Send more of them in your chat. And we'll meet again for knowledge and experience and growth and having fun and enjoying these waves of growth and development in our understanding. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.